0: Happy Friday, everybody! It's time for MLB Morning Coffee. Let's hit it! What in the hell are you doing? (laughs) Ha ha ha! Some classic Hawk Harrelson. What the hell am I doing? I'm doing an episode of MLB Morning Coffee. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have not yet, make sure you write a review, leave a rating, hit that subscribe button, tell your friends, tell your parents, tell your dogs, even though they probably have no idea how to work any of the technology required in order to listen to this podcast. I am Greg Moraz, As per usual, gosh, we're at the end of the week. This is episode five. Now, I know there are a lot of people that are saying, oh, I can't believe that we got to five episodes, and that's like when they're about a month in and they're doing like an hour and a half, like once a week. Why do we do this? Because number one, we believe in quantity and quality. So when you get a half hour every day, we know that that's something that you're going to want to tune into every day instead of maybe an hour and a half once a week that you might just get, oh, gosh, I'm so bored after about like 45 minutes and they're joining on and on and on about the same topic. But anyway, those are other people's podcasts. This is my show. We're going to have a really fun conversation today about a one Mike fires. But first, as we start every day, here is the Daily Grounds. Do you remember having your Little League team named after a Major League Baseball team? I sure do. During my time as a Little Leaguer, I was part of the Dodgers, the Rangers, the Mariners, the Red Sox. But my first team was the Astros. Well, one Little League commissioner in Luzerne County, Pennsylvania, has decided to take action. The commissioner of the Luzerne County Little League, District 1631, Bob Bertoni, said that he is suspending the Astros name from being a part of any of the Little League teams fielded in the district this season. Quote, I think about our Little League pledge, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Part of the pledge is, I will play fair and strive to win. Our kids emulate and idolize Major League players. I don't think we as an organization should be idolizing teams that have decided not to play by the rules. I understand that a name is a name, but... If you're taking this as the symbolism for what it seems like Bertoni is doing here, and he added later that he does not believe that they're going to be the first district to drop the Astros name, I actually really like the move. It really hurts the Astros brand that you are literally causing little league organizations to drop your name from their teams. I mean, I don't know how much of a bigger indictment on the integrity of what your organization is than that. If the Little League charter, and we just read it, is to play fair and not cheat the game, then the decision to drop the Astros' name from a Little League district makes all the sense in the world. Because if you want to teach kids to play fair and play by the rules, then having anything associated with the Astros, given how they've responded to this cheating scandal and all of the information that has come out, You are not setting a good example if you idolize the Houston Astros. This next story out of Cleveland, and we want to wish all of our best to Indian starter Carlos Carrasco. He was pulled from a workout at the team's training facility in Goodyear, Arizona on Wednesday because he was experiencing discomfort in his right leg. He is set to undergo testing, and an update will be provided later today. Last season – Carrasco was diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia in early June. He missed three months while undergoing treatment and then returned to the Indians in a relief role. He finished last season with a 6-7 and record and a 5.29 earned run average. He also won the Roberto Clemente Award, which is presented annually by Major League Baseball, to recognize a player's high character, community involvement, and positive contributions to the game and his community. I hope for Carrasco's sake that this is nothing and that he can return to team activity as soon as possible. Obviously, it was a very scary moment for him and the Indians organization when he got diagnosed with leukemia last year, and it's amazing that he only missed three months and was able to come back fully healthy and pitch again last season. I'm not sure what to expect for the Indians this year considering that they traded away over the course of the last six months two of their best starters in Trevor Bauer and over this offseason, Corey Kluber. But for Carrasco, You don't necessarily care about what he could provide on the field this year. You just want to make sure that he is healthy and living his best life. That's what matters the most for Carlos Carrasco at this point, and we wish him all the best and hope that this is nothing but just a minor physical flare-up. More injury news, this time out of New York Yankees camp. It was filed yesterday that Luis Severino is dealing with some forearm soreness and has been immediately shut down, per manager Aaron Boone. This is extremely concerning for Severino, who only made three regular season appearances last season after missing most of the regular season with right rotator cuff inflammation. Severino burst onto the scene in 2017 as one of the AL's premier right-handed starting pitchers and followed that up. With a phenomenal 2018 season where he won a career high 19 games, posted a 339 ERA, and tallied over 200 strikeouts for the second consecutive year. As for the Yankees, they are having severe rotation issues, and the signing of Garrett Cole looks even better. They have James Paxton out till at least June because of spinal surgery that he underwent on February 5th. And you also have now have CC Sabathia retired. This is going to be a Yankees rotation that doesn't look nearly as stout as it did when they first signed Cole back in December. For me, I look at the Yankees as the best team in the American League on paper. But if they're dealing with this many injuries in their starting rotation and Severino ends up missing some significant time, they are going to be in a world of hurt going into this year and will have to rely on a lot of inexperienced arms to navigate them through the first part of the season. Would you have guessed that we talk about Jonathan Lucroy for a second straight episode? Probably not, but he is making headlines once again because at Red Sox camp today, he came out and said that he used to change signs every single pitch when they were playing the Astros and that he knew that the sign stealing was going on well before any news ever came out about it. Luke Roy, if you remember, played in the AL West with parts of three teams from 2016 to 2019 with the Rangers, the A's, and last year, the Los Angeles Angels. He was quoted today as saying, I knew about that two years ago, that it was going on. I know it just recently came out. Everybody in baseball knew, especially in that division that played against them. But we were all aware of the Astros doing those things, and it was up to us to outsmart them, I guess you could say. He goes on, it's kind of hard when you have a computer program that breaks your signs. We actively changed signs. Every single pitch, we were changing signs. You had to because they would relay them to second, stealing them from first too, from between your legs. They had a very intricate system going on. We were well aware of it, and it was a challenge. It was a mental challenge to really overcome that. It's easier said than done, but it's a shame, and I'm glad it came out and that it came to light. Now, it is unique in the fact, by the way, that, Albeit for a brief time in the second half of 2018, Lucroy and Mike Fires were teammates with the Oakland Athletics. It's safe to assume that there were conversations that were had between Fires and Lucroy and the rest of the Oakland Athletics in 2018 about what Fires had witnessed in Houston and how effectively they could go about hiding everything, because, as Lucroy said, it's very difficult to beat an intricate system. But it just underscores the fact that Major League Baseball has been completely fraudulent in their response to formal complaints, specifically the ones put out by the Oakland A's. If Croix knew that this was going on, and this was happening all the way back in 2016 when the Code Breaker and the Dark Arts programs first came out, and we're going to get to that story in just a second, why did Major League Baseball not even think about investigating the Astros? If teams knew about this and were actively putting in measures to stop it, why was Major League Baseball turning a blind eye to all of it? As this gets deeper and deeper and deeper, it is clear that Major League Baseball is more and more complicit in the Astros actually getting away with this cheating. If what Luke Roy says is true, and that teams knew about this before the 2017 season even happened then Major League Baseball is going to look horrific when people find out that MLB knew about this all the way back in 2017 and did nothing about it. Lou is one of the best catchers that there is in terms of handling pitchers and in terms of calling a game. So if he says this, from my experience, it has to have some formality of truth. <laughs> I just think before every Astros story regarding sign stealing that instead of our normal coffee transition that we're just going to put a giant boo sound effect in, I mean, let's face it, that guy sounded pretty angry. Let's hear him again. Yeah, I would boo the Astros any chance I got, and one guy that really wants to boo them, or rather I should say sue them, is former Major League pitcher Mike Bolsinger. We brought him up briefly on our premiere episode, but according to Jeff Passon of ESPN today. He added Astros owner Jim Crane and baseball operations staffer Derek Vigoa to his civil suit against the Astros today, according to documents filed in a Los Angeles court. Bolsinger on February 10th filed a civil suit against the Astros claiming that they had engaged in unfair business practices and negligence via a duplicitous and torturous scheme of sign-stealing. In Bolsinger's last major league outing pro Jeff Passan, the Astros scored four runs in a third of an inning against him while allegedly using their trash can banging system on 12 of the 29 pitches that he threw. Now here's something that's really even more interesting about that outing. There was an Astros fan, his name is Tony Adams, that tracked trash can banging for 60 of the Astros' 81 home games in the 2017 season. And of those 60 games, The most amount of trash can bangs in a game? 54. And when was that game? That was Bolsinger's start on August 4th. Additionally, Bolsinger wants all of the Astros' playoff shares to be donated to charity because he, quite frankly, wants the money to go to people that probably deserve it more. I don't know if Bolsinger has a case in this lawsuit But the principle of the lawsuit itself is absolutely fascinating because he feels like they ruined his career. And that start, that August 4th start where he gave up four runs in a third of an inning was the last of his career. I give Bolsinger a lot of props for stepping out on a ledge that probably not a whole lot of people would have. But even though others are not filing lawsuits, at least as of yet, Bolsinger is one that's representing a lot in terms of players that may have had their careers ruined by the Astros' sign-stealing. Our final story on the Daily Grounds has to do with salary arbitration. Yes, I know. So exciting. Well, out of Philadelphia today, the Phillies won their arbitration case against catcher J.T. Realmuto, who they acquired from the Miami Marlins last offseason. Real Muto had wanted $12.4 million in his arbitration statement. The team wanted to give him 10, and they ended up ruling in favor of the 10, which is still a $4 million raise from what he made last year, which was $6 million. Most of the arbitration cases are said and done. There is one more big arbitration case that is left on the table, and that is Arizona reliever Archie Bradley, whose case was put before an arbitrator on Tuesday. That is the Daily Grounds for today, February 21st, 2020. So the main topic of today's show is another part of the sign-stealing scandal, and that is Oakland A's righty Mike Fires. And one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this up today is because of comments made by Red Sox legend David Ortiz when he arrived at Red Sox Spring Training yesterday. And Ortiz was not too kind of fires. He was put on record as saying, quote, I'm mad at this guy, the pitcher who came out talking about it. And let me tell you why. Oh, after you make your money, after you get your ring, you decide to talk about it. Why don't you talk about it during the season when it was going on? Why didn't you say, I don't want to be no part of it? So you look like you're a snitch. Why you got to talk about it after? That's my problem. Why nobody said anything while it was going on. Ortiz continues. The Houston Astros. I know they put themselves in a situation, and I just still don't know how come nobody was like, that is wrong, I just don't know how no one says something about it. During, not after. I was in the clubhouse for a long time, and never anything like that comes up. Now they're going to have to deal with that for a long time because it's not only a situation that involves players, you're talking about the whole franchise. He finishes up. To be honest with you, I've been watching the whole thing and the commissioner has been getting so much heat like it was him that made that mistake. I don't agree with him getting all the heat and the reality that is not one player came through and was like, hey, it was me that started this up. Everyone is passing the ball like when you're playing basketball. All the commissioner can do is have the team investigate what's going on and do what he knows how to do. First off, David Ortiz was a part of the Mitchell Report, so I honestly don't think he has a leg to stand on when it comes to criticizing those who cheated because, and while it's still much of an issue to be debated... Ortiz himself, when it comes to performing enhancing drugs, may have also cheated, but Ortiz is so beloved because of his personality, he'll never be ostracized, such as Alex Rodriguez was when he was first suspended for steroids. Now, the issue at hand is being a snitch, and what Ortiz says in some cases is valid because, well, fires benefited from... The sign-stealing scandal, he got himself a World Series and then goes on to another team and figures that now it's right to have all this come out. I want to say that I am in 1,000% defense of Mike Fires and what he has done because of a couple of things. Number one, Mike Fires was not on the Astros' 2017 World Series roster. And from what a lot of people are saying and a lot of reports that have come out that said younger players didn't know what to do when this scheme is being led by older players. And I know Carlos Beltran has been implicated a lot as being a ringleader that was going to railroad anybody that got in his way and that they were going to do this regardless of whether players, young or old, wanted to participate or not. And quite frankly, younger players just don't have the sweat equity in order to stop something like this. Now, Fires doesn't really benefit a whole lot from this just simply because of the fact that he was a pitcher and it doesn't make sense to steal your own signs and you're not really going to be able to pick up any signs from the hitters because those are all decoded with certain indicators that are coming from the third base coach or from the dugout. In any event, Mike Fires suffered, as we talked about on our first episode, from the sign-stealing as a member of the A's while he was in Houston, giving up 30% of his earned runs for the 2019 season against the Astros as a member of the A's. That was over the span of only five starts. That included a nine-earned run start and a four-earned run start over the course of a third of an inning. If Fires doesn't step up and do this, then who does? And Fires has the perspective from the Oakland A's in that they knew... That the Astros were cheating, they filed a complaint to Major League Baseball, and MLB did nothing about it. None of this entire cycle happens if Fires doesn't go to the Athletic. And what's it going to do to benefit him? What benefit does he have at this point? He's got his World Series ring. He's not going back to the Astros, and he's not somebody that's going to get a massive payday from somebody else. He is, by all accounts, a veteran journeyman pitcher that's played with the Brewers and the Tigers, amongst others, in addition to the Astros and the Athletics. But Fires saw an opportunity to right a wrong, and whether he's getting back at his old organization for leaving him off the playoff roster or being angry at them for effectively ruining his starts in Houston as a member of the A's because they knew what he was throwing and it hampered his statistics severely, we might not necessarily know the reasoning, but we can only assume that those are going to end up being the cases. We've touched on Mike Fires in a couple of episodes, but the comments that were put forth by Ortiz today really bothered me because what is the line that should be drawn between doing the right thing and protecting that clubhouse code? And that clubhouse code in baseball is what happens in the clubhouse doesn't leave the clubhouse and that you put your teammates before anything else. And I guess that I should have put the comments from Lucroy in this segment instead of in the Daily Grounds, but I think it's worth noting that if people like Lou Croy are coming out and saying that, hey, we knew that the Astros were cheating, and it was pretty evident in the video that Danny Farquhar of the White Sox was shown in where John Boy Media first discovered the trash can banging that the Astros were doing this frequently, deliberately, and weren't going to stop. And whether you believe A.J. Hinch or not saying that, he smashed the monitors and he tried to stop it. And the fact that this continued past 2017 and into 2018 and by all accounts from at least what we can tell used in the 2019 playoffs and knowing that catchers have to change their signs every pitch, like if Mike Fires didn't do this, then who would have? What David Ortiz isn't getting here is that somebody had to step forward. It's not a matter of being a snitch. But if Fires knew that the A's were putting complaints to Major League Baseball, formal complaints with proof about sign stealing and cheating and evidence that what the Astros were doing was negatively impacting the results of A's versus Astros games, what else is anyone supposed to do? It is almost if the deck is completely stacked against you, and the authority just doesn't care. So that's why Fires did what he did, because somebody had to. And if he doesn't do it, then who does? Who does? Is it Charlie Morton? Is it Marwin Gonzalez? Is it Tony Kemp, who was briefly a part of it, but denies ever having participated in it? Who comes forward? Who puts a stop to this? How long would this have gone on before somebody else decided to come forward and say, hey, this is wrong? Now, if people like Ortiz are going to paint fires as some sort of pariah, then I would say shame on you, Big Poppy," because careers were affected by this. People's livelihoods were affected by this. Guys like Mike Bolsinger never got a chance at the big leagues again because of performances against the Astros that were artificially changed. I say artificially changed because the rules clearly state you're not supposed to use technology to steal signs. If you steal signs manually, which is just figuring out sequencing, that's totally fine. That's part of the gamesmanship of the game of baseball. But you can't use technology. That's an overstatement of the obvious. It is a clear and distinct advantage. And the Indians had rights to complain about this during the 2018 playoffs. In Major League Baseball, they just gave the Astros a slap on the wrist. And A.J. Hinch denied that anything even happened. And the Yankees talking about the whistling scheme. And I know that we keep rehashing different incidents here and there and everywhere. But Mike fires for what he is, is the representative hero of baseball's integrity, at least for now? I don't want to hear anybody else coming out against Mike Fires. I want people like David Ortiz that were impacted by this, that were hurt by this, and I think it's a lot easier for a pitcher to come out and say that they were hurt by this than a hitter, just because that the way that sign stealing works, it's meant to benefit the hitter and be a detriment to the pitcher. There are certain scenarios where snitches do get stitches, and there are certain scenarios where telling the truth and being the whistleblower is 1,000% the right thing to do, and in this scenario, what Mike Fires did was the right thing to do, and he'll take flack for it from one side, the people like Ortiz and other guys that think that you cannot break the clubhouse code, and he'll be applauded by others who believe that by coming forward and getting this entire avalanche sliding down the mountain that he may have, in one form or another, saved the integrity of the game of baseball. I'm not going to say that Fires is a hero. He's just somebody that had enough gumption to come out, put his own credo on the line, and tell his story, and tell the story that needed to be told in order to gain back the integrity of the game of baseball. Does Fires necessarily care what his ex-teammates think of him at this point? No, I don't think he cares at all. In our Daily Ground segment yesterday, we quoted him as saying that he didn't care if people were thrown at him. He didn't care if people were mad at him. I think more people are mad at players like Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman and Carlos Correa and the way that a lot of those guys on the Astros roster acted in terms of their arrogance and in terms of their, we're so much better than you because we're more talented, we do things better, blah, blah, blah. I don't think Fires wants to be associated with that. And I don't think a lot of guys that played on that Astros team that are no longer there want to be associated with that. I'll be very interested to see what the storyline surrounding guys like Marwin Gonzalez and Charlie Morton and Tony Kemp, and others that played in Houston during that 2017 season. Uh, Let's throw Ken Giles in there as well. I'm interested to see what the reaction is going to be to a lot of those guys when they go to visiting ballparks all around baseball. Some of it will be positive. I think a lot of it will be negative. I think Marwin Gonzalez is going to receive a lot of negative attention. I'd be very interested if Carlos Beltran had kept his job, whether or not he would have received a certain booing of the sorts. But the Mets had to make that move for the purpose of saving face. In the end, Mike Fires is just one small piece of the puzzle. But I think it is important to state that while Fires was only a small piece of this ever-forming puzzle... If it weren't for him and his ability to put himself on the line, the integrity of the game of baseball may have been lost forever. And now it's time for our final segment. This is going to be a fun one. It's Check It Out. Who cares? Let's check it out. Check it out! I just don't get tired of that check it out sounder, and if you can figure out where I got that from, email me. Email the show greg.moraz at yahoo.com. I should be plugging that every time. If you want to email the show, ask a question, learn about my life. Well, maybe you don't want to learn about my life. But if you do have a question for the show, please send us an email at greg.miraz at yahoo.com. So on our segment, check it out today. I want to point you to an article written by Eno Saris of The Athletic, which has to do with his ballpark craft beer rankings. Eno Saris is a well-known craft beer guy. He is a baseball writer for The Athletic. He used to cover baseball for Fangrafts, which is one of the main analytical sites on the interwebs. And he put out a couple of days ago his rankings for his favorite craft beers. And so he actually has each team 1 through 30, and he gives every team a 1 through 10 rating based on their best beer, their average beer, and their accessibility of beer. The number one park in all of baseball per Saris is T-Mobile Park in Seattle where he gives 10s for top beer, 10 for average beer, and 10 for accessibility. The top 10 in order as follows. Number two, Petco Park in San Diego. Number three, Oracle Park in San Francisco. Number four, Guaranteed Rate Field in Chicago. That's home of the White Sox. Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City comes in at number five. Progressive Field in Cleveland is number six. By the way, the one time I went to Progressive Field, they had this beer called the 216. It was this kind of fruity IPA, and oh my gosh, it was so good. Number seven, Target Field, Minnesota. They famously have the self-vending beer machines. Number eight is Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. Number nine, the Tropicana Field in St. Petersburg. They got really good beer down in Florida, and rounding out the top ten, It's Miller Park. It's a park that's actually named for beer. Now, if we get more toward the bottom of the list, it starts to get a little bit more dim. If we go to the bottom five, and some of these are kind of surprising, 25 is Fenway Park in Boston, 26 is Marlins Park in Miami, 27 is Dodgers Stadium, Yankee Stadium is actually 28, 29 is Rogers Center in Toronto, and... The rating for the Texas Rangers is incomplete because they're moving into a brand spanking new ballpark, which is another issue we'll get into on a future episode. Why Texas and Atlanta can get new ballparks after 20 years, but up here in the Bay Area, we can't get a new ballpark in the great city of Oakland. I, for one, am very impressed that Eno Saris is able to get himself a beer at every single park, considering that he also is a writer and that he is working. But number two... I have a goal to have at least one signature beer at every ballpark in the United States, and that would require me to visit every ballpark in the United States, which I hope at some point in my lifetime, and maybe that involves me working in Major League Baseball, knock on wood, that's always been the lifelong dream, I might get the chance to. But in any event, go check out this list. If you're traveling around the United States and you're going to see a brand new ballpark, Go check out the beer selection. Eno has got you covered. Again, search Eno Saris on The Athletic, and he will give you his craft beer ballpark rankings. That's going to do it for this edition of MLB Morning Coffee. Remember, leave a review, leave a rating, subscribe, email the show, do all the fun things that are going to help this thing continue to grow, and please leave suggestions. I want to make sure that this show improves and doesn't stay stagnant. And I promise you, we are getting guests soon. We are getting rotating co-hosts soon. This is just week number one, but we're churning along. Five is fine, and we're here and alive here on MLB Morning Coffee. Have a great rest of your day. We will talk to you in the a.m. on what hopes to be a beautiful Saturday morning.